0: lies and distortions and therefore do not have a valid standing or um, have value. Or let me state it another way. People are free to believe whatever they want, but they are not free to determine the consequences of what they believe, okay? You can believe whatever you want, but you're not free to determine the consequences of your belief. If you believe a lie, you're free to do that. If you are misled by someone else's deceit, or if you just misunderstand, regardless of where you are in your beliefs, you will still have to deal with the result of whatever decisions you make based on false beliefs. You can believe it, but then you have to recognize that there's consequences for false beliefs. The same thing is true if someone tells you the truth and you do not believe it. Someone tells you the truth and you say, you know, that's fine, but I really don't believe it. There are consequences for not following through with that. So believe what you want. You're free to do that. But again, you're not free to determine the consequences of false beliefs. Those will just happen. Uh, Today's scripture really illustrates that. In this passage this morning, we see two or three key principles that are there. The first one we see is that even people Jesus knew, or who knew Jesus and who he performed miracles for, reject him um, as the Messiah and the Savior. They don't deny the things he did, they just reject him as the Messiah and the Savior. They see truth, they see it and they do not believe it. And because they do not believe it, there are consequences. And they're not free to choose those consequences. In verse 53 through 57, or the first part of 57, we see the responses of the people in Jesus' hometown to Jesus' preaching and deeds. And it's not a pretty picture. It clearly shows that there are some people who will not believe in Christ no matter what he does, no matter what he says. No matter how clear the testimony is. Truth is facing them right square in the face. And they go, eh, no thank you. And there are some people who will not believe in Christ despite the clearest evidence. It happens all the time. There's clear evidence of who Christ is. But they're not going to accept it. They're not going to accept his salvation. So after Jesus had finished preaching his parables, he goes to Nazareth. And he begins to preach in the synagogue. And as he speaks, the people are amazed, amazed at his teaching. They never heard preaching and teaching like this, that the Lord was giving them at that point. And in fact, many of them had seen him perform miracles. Others had heard about the miracles. There was testimony and witnesses to all the miracles. But they do not believe him. They are, in fact, we are told in this passage, offended by him. We are offended by what he says. And the word offended sort of translates in the Greek as skandalizo. The word basically means to stumble, to trip, to offend, to be a barrier to a person's growth. And so Jesus' teaching at this point is a barrier to them. The friends, neighbors, and perhaps his own family were offended by what Jesus was saying, even though the witness or the testimony or the evidence was all there. Um, Now, Matthew does not give us a description of what Jesus preached. Um, He doesn't. But if you go to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, you will see, and in Mark, you will see how this gets played out in in a different way. In fact, Jesus' message, when you hear it from there, was sort of an in-your-face message with the people of Nazareth. He was very clear that they needed to repent. He was very clear that they were doing behaviors that were not acceptable and that they needed to acknowledge that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God. So you can understand if this sort of this in-your-face type sermon is going on, that the people might have reacted a little bit negatively. But at the same time, they were amazed by what he said. At the same time that even though he was in their face, they were saying, but look at the miracles he's done. And it's no different today. People can say, you know, you need Jesus. And they could see a miracle of Jesus. They could see a miracle of healing. They could see all kinds of things that God did in a person's life. And they could hear the word and then they'll go, yeah, I know it's true, but hey, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want somebody to tell me what I need to do. I don't need, want somebody to tell me that I'm a sinner and I need to repent. Um, but Matthew doesn't record the message, which I find interesting. He doesn't say, this is what Jesus said, and this is why they took offense. And I think it's just for one basic reason. Now again, this is speculation on my part. Because it doesn't say, and the reason why Jesus did this, so I have to come to my own sort of conclusion on this. But he doesn't want to focus our attention on the hearts of these people. He wants to focus our attention on the hearts of the people that have rejected Jesus. See, it's not Jesus's word. It's not Jesus's method. It's not Jesus' preaching style. It's not that he raised his voice or that he pointed fingers at the people. It's not that he looked mean. It's, it's that not that he called them names. It's that the fact that their hearts were hardened. They were so entrenched in what they believed. They were so entrenched in the way they wanted to live. They were so entrenched in their own value system that when Jesus confronted them, they didn't want to have anything to do with it, even though all the evidence was there. So I think that's why they responded to Jesus like they did. And Matthew wants to highlight the point by not telling you what it was that Jesus preached. He only tells you about the response of the people to Jesus' message. And so this story is included at the end of all of his parables. And it's a sad but true living illustration of all of those parables. Whether it be the dragnet, whether it be weeds, but most importantly with the parable of the sower where some of this seed fell on hard ground and because it fell on hard ground, it never sprouted. And that's what you have here. There are some hearts which are so hard that even when a person hears God's truth, It has absolutely no impact, and that's just a sad, sad place for a culture to be, and it's a sad place for an individual to be. The heart is not moved. It may be impressed, but it's not surrendered. Um, The heart may be impressed by the miracles that Jesus does, but it doesn't embrace the miracle worker. It doesn't embrace Jesus. And I just find it so amazing the words that they use about Jesus. Their, people are struck with wonder at his preaching, amazed at his miracles, um, and that in Luke and Mark it tells us that after Jesus preached, they threw him out of Nazareth. That you know, it's like a sign. Everyone, welcome to Nazareth. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. Um, the townspeople were impressed. They could understand how this person could do that. They couldn't put the fact together that this was a person who was Joseph's son, the carpenter. They knew Jesus. They grew up with Jesus. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. It, you know his dad Joseph used to. You know he built this table for me. He helped me replace my roof. He built the yoke for my oxen. His kid used, you know, Jesus used to play with my kids. Yeah, I, knew, I know Jesus. And then Jesus comes in. And I, I can't rectify that. I can't acknowledge that this is Jesus and that he's God. Even though he's doing all the things that the Messiah is going to do, I can't acknowledge that. Now, stop there for a second. And think about the different people you know in your life that God may get a hold of and really begin to transform. But then we say, no, I know that person. I know that person. I, I don't care what she says. I don't care what they say. I, I grew up with them. I know what they're really like. Now, this may be a little bit personal to me because I just got through with my 50th reunion that I went to. And people would look at me and say, you're a minister? I go, yeah. (laughs) No. I knew you. I know you. I know what you did. I know how you lived. I don't believe that God could have really done that in your life. And we would share that, you know, some people come to me, are you still a minister? You know, and finally I sort of said, well, maybe this is real. Maybe God really did do that. But how many times in our own minds do we come up with an idea of what a person is like based on what we knew, not based on what God can do? Um, and so it's learning how to trust that in God. So they just couldn't put it together. They couldn't put the fact together that they grew up with us, he was just like us, he played with us, he was no different than us, and now he's the Messiah? You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Now things just couldn't gel. Um, as these people saw it, Jesus was not supposed to reveal such wisdom and such power. We had not. Enjoyed any higher education than the rest of them, he was no different than the rest of them. And that was precisely the response of the people to Jesus. The people of Nazareth were blinded to Jesus' teaching and claims because they were preoccupied with his origins. They were preoccupied with where he came from. They remembered him when he lived there before, and they just couldn't put it together. They just didn't believe that Jesus, that they had known could do these things. And they don't question that they happened. They just question who they claimed he was. Um, It's interesting, interesting. The very people who respond to Jesus by being offended by him and who eventually run him out of their town testify by their own admission of his power of preaching and his power of miracles and that he was who he claimed to be. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the living Son of God, and the living God. By, by what they did, they proved who he was. Um, so that's sort of the first thing we see in this passage, that no matter what God does, there are gonna be some people who will not believe in Christ. And it's not a lack of truthfulness or proof of evidence that keeps people away from Christ. It's a heart condition. It's a moral condition. It's a spiritual condition. I refuse to change the way I live, and I refuse to surrender, and I refuse to submit, and so my heart is hardened, and it doesn't matter what God is going to do. It's almost like this high-handed fist against God that says, not me. The second thing in the passage is in the second half of verse 57, uh, verse 57 we he says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household not only does it teach us that some people will not believe in christ but despite the evidence but the passage also teaches us that spiritual things as in other things familiarity often breeds contempt familiarity also breeds complacency Familiarity also breeds indifference. Now, let me just give you an example, and I don't want anybody to be shamed, okay? But how familiar are are you with the way we do things at River Valley? How many can pretty much say, well, this is exactly what's gonna happen at River Valley on a Sunday morning? We're going to have three songs, then we're going to have an, you know, a prayer, then we're going to have a break, and then we're going to have announcements, and then we're going to, you know, all. I mean pretty much all of us know how it goes, right? I can be up here talking, and 50% are not listening. Why is that? Familiarity. We already know what he's going to say. So if he's, we already know what he's going to say, I can keep on talking with who I'm talking to because I already know what's gonna happen. And so we just sort of become indifferent. We all do it. We all do it in different situations. But how many of us would do the exact same thing if we were visiting a different church? We wouldn't do it until we became familiar enough that everybody else does that, so we could do it too. And so it happens in every situation. And so we're, you know, we, we try to get things going and, it doesn't happen now I do it we all do it when we become so familiar with something it's easy not to hear the truth of what is being presented we can be so familiar with the scripture that when we read the scripture it just becomes routine we're familiar with this passage we don't ask deeper questions we don't say what is God trying to teach me how should I respond to this? How, you know, if I really believed it, what would I do? How am I going to surrender to allow God to impact my life? We do it in so many areas, and I don't say that to shame anybody. I'm talking about myself also. You know, I could start going through the scripture and just read it as I already know what this verse says. You know, so I don't have to read it You know, intently, I just sort of go over it as if the Word of God is just sort of an addition to the illustration instead of the illustration an addition to the Word of God. So it just happens, and it happens to them. Uh, The people had grown up with Christ, um, but their familiarity with Christ. Uh, They knew him, and they knew his family. And they knew his father, and they knew his mother, and they knew his brothers, and they knew his sisters. And they knew his humble origin, as an uneducated carpenter son. And then Jesus responds with a proverb that says, he says to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown or his own household. Now that's a very confrontational statement that Jesus is making to the people. Jesus' words indicate that not only his town people, his own hometown folk, But even people in his own family have yet to receive him and accept him as the Savior. They were not believing him as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. His claims were not being received even by those in his own hometown. Um, And many skeptics today will comfort themselves with thoughts like this. You know, I would be much more inclined to accept Jesus Christ if I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead or if I was there when he fed the 5,000, or if I walked with him and heard his teaching, and if I saw some of these miracles, and I was there when he he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and I I observed all those things, I'd be much more inclined to believe in him. That is the biggest lie that you could ever tell yourself. Because hundreds, thousands of people saw Jesus do those things and still rejected him because of a hardness of heart, because of a hardness of heart, because of the familiarity. Um, so the problem with unbelief is not a lack of truth. It's not a lack of proof. It's not a lack of evidence. The problem with unbelief is moral and spiritual. It is the heart that rejects the truth. It's not a lack of evidence that prevents us from trusting. So in verse 58, Jesus teaches us the third thing. Here Matthew says, And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Here we learn that unbelief is a deadly spiritually spiritual poison. It's not only that we learn in this passage that some people will refuse to believe in Christ no matter how clear it's um, It's not only true that in spiritual things, familiarity breeds contempt, but it is also true that unbelief is a deadly spiritual poison. Um, They rejected him because their hearts were captured by unbelief. They were unbelievers. They were hardened in their hearts. Um, And then they have this phrase that says, now Jesus was not able to do a miracle there, or Jesus could do a few miracles there. And it's because of a lack of faith. I've heard that verse when I was at All Roberts University over and over again because I've seen faith healers use it. I've seen all kinds of people use it because the faith says if you have faith and you know, people come and they'll pray for them and then the person says I wasn't healed and they point back to that person and say it is your fault you have a lack of faith you have a lack of faith. And that's not what this is saying. Because it's not talking about uh, about whether or not Jesus could do miracles. They had faith that he could do them. They were doubting that he was the Messiah. And there were all kinds of people that came to Jesus for healing and weren't sure if if he could do it. There was dead people that he raised from the dead who had no faith, and Jesus raised them. It was the fact that they didn't believe that he was the Messiah that prevented the blessings from God to pour down him. Faith is not faith that Jesus can heal. Faith is not faith that Jesus can do miraculous and supernatural things in your life. Faith is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, your Savior, um, and that sinners can receive him and be forgiven and trust him as their Lord and Savior. That's the faith he's talking about. They didn't have faith that he was the Messiah. And that's the kind of faith that is being spoken here. Um, and that's the kind of faith that prevents God's blessing from come. Because if I don't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, how can I expect Him to impact my life? How can I expect to, for Him to change the things that are going on in my life? And it's amazing how many people want all the blessings of Jesus but don't want Jesus. And so, sort of like you know, what our whole society is about? I want all the blessings of a non-committed relationship, but I don't want to make a commitment. I don't want to follow through with any of my promises, but I want all the benefits. So they want the benefits of Jesus, but they don't want the relationship with Jesus. And he's saying because of that, you're not going to receive the blessings. Because if you don't have me, how can I bless you? How can I give you peace? How can I give you joy? How can I give you the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have a relationship with me? See, it's not that God's heart is not good. It's not that God's heart is not loving. It's not that God's heart doesn't want to provide us with all kinds of blessings. It's the fact that sinners don't want to be converted to God. Sinners don't want to change. They don't even want to acknowledge that they're sinners. So it's not God's fault that people don't respond to him. It's our own fault. Calvin wrote, for all of us who may lean towards that, Our own belief is the only impediment which prevents God from satisfying us largely and bountifully with all good things. It's our own belief. It's our own belief. So when you hear someone say, the reason I don't trust in God is that there's not enough evidence, that is just a bold-faced lie. It has nothing to do with evidence. And then when you hear someone say, I will not believe what I cannot understand, You can quote Augustine by saying, you will not understand if you don't believe. You will never understand if you will not believe. Um, And there's so many people that will use those irrelevant excuses for why they really won't let Christ be first. And it may be because of familiarity. It may be because we've done church the same way for so long that we don't expect to be surprised by God on a Sunday morning. It may, may be that we're so much engaged in just trying to be, hear what other people are doing or have people hear what we're doing that we sometimes close our eyes, our ears to what God might be saying to us. There could be all kinds of reasons. But if we don't open our hearts and our minds to the fullness of what Christ is trying to do in our lives, we will never receive the blessings that God has provided for us. Um, there's a lot of practical aspects of unbelief and some of them are just from a from truly a spiritual perspective. We will never experience all that God wants to do in our lives with that unbelief. We, we put a barrier. We become the stumbling block to God working in our lives. Um from a spiritual perspective, but there's also sort of a practical perspective. I read a story, which I thought was sort of cute. In the, at, mid, at the end of the 1800s, um, Bishop Milton Wright founded uh, United Brethren Seminary. And every year, he would go to that seminary and just have a conversation with the president of the college. And back in the, at the end of the 1800s, he's talking about the rapture and that Christ is going to come back soon. And the president of the university says, why, why do you believe that? He goes, because we've accomplished pretty much everything you could possibly accomplish. You know, we've, we're, there's no great inventions that are ever going to take place again. And, you know, the president says, no, I think in the next 50 years, we're going to see a lot of... A lot of things change in our society. We're, we're going to move away from horse and buggy. We're going to be riding in horseless carriages. We, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if man could eventually fly. And at that point, the bishop went nuts. And he goes, if we're meant to fly, we would have been created with wings just like the angels. Bishop Wright's two sons went to that university. Wilbur and Orville Wright um, (laughs) went to that university. Well, they could have believed this one and said, no, that will never happen. Or they could say, you know what? they got this president over here who thinks a little bit different about what God could and might do. That's the same for us. We sometimes get confronted with something that we say there's no way that that will ever happen. And it's when we're open to it, God can say, let me show you Let me show you what I can do with a people who are fully committed to me, who are surrendered to me, and who are willing to trust me in every area of their life. That's why uh, Robert Morris, when we did the video, said, I've told everybody in our church, if you just tithed for one year and came back to me at the end of the year and said that wasn't very beneficial, he'd give you the tithe back. Because he just trusted trusted God that if you, when you trust God completely, God will completely show up. That's when we have our unbelief for whatever reason. Hardness of heart, familiarity, that it's hard sometimes for God to break through in order for us to trust him. For me, I think that the best years of River Valley are ahead of us few little things that started to take place. One, Carla Crane came and said, you know, we just have to have a greater ministry of prayer here. And so, during the service, there's a group of people that are praying every Sunday for the service. Before the service, there's people that are praying. During the worship time, if you needed prayer, there's people that are praying for you. That about six months ago, I guess, they started exhale, and um, and we started M3, and for whatever reason, the women's group skyrockets with people, and the men were a tight, well-knit group of guys. Um, and we would love to see more men show up. Um, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I could. Look at you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's just that opportunity to just see men connecting and praying for each other and women connecting and praying for each other. That women, you know, people are praying on Sunday morning. There's just different things that are taking place that are saying that we just want God to continue to move in this church to impact the people in this church that we can go out into the community and impact the people that we come into contact with. Um, And each week I can just tell you more and more stories of how people's lives are being impacted by those things. Um, So for me, I think that the future of River Valley um, is exciting to see what God's gonna do in the next five years and not. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you. To experience the fullness of your love. And Lord, help our familiarity with the word. With you. With one another. Not develop any kind of complacency. But... That we are constantly, constantly opening our hearts and our minds up to who you are. That we can be surprised by the way you will continue to move in our lives. So that we don't only stand in amazement of your teaching or stand in amazement of your miracles, but we truly embrace you as the one who can transform people's lives the one who brings salvation to individuals, the one who has redeemed the world. And then we can celebrate that with a joy, with an embrace that truly transforms us into Christ-like individuals. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.